Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Deal. I'm Danny Brown. I know we're winding down summer here, heading into Labor Day. I'm actually heading out of town as well. This week's guest is an incredible, interesting conversation about technology and uh, entertainment and how they intertwine with Andrew Shulkin, a good friend of mine, uh, an artist, uh, cinematographer by trade who's done a lot of impressive films and TV, but is a emerging technology consultant for a lot of the big public Fortune 500 companies, but really, really at the cutting edge of how we are going to be consuming content, whether it's film, TV, music, how we're going to be watching movies and concerts and, and special theaters and things. And wow, is this stuff, uh, is this stuff cool? I also want to give a shout out to his, to his wife, Sarah, who is starting her new job, the head of school at Milken. She used to be the head of school at Sinai Kiba. We love her too, giving her a shout out. And anyway, without further ado, Andrew Shulkin. Ladies and gentlemen, very excited to have my buddy here, Andrew Shulkin. How are you? Welcome Good. to Thank the deal. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This is going to be a very interesting situation here today. We're going to get into entertainment, technology, convergence. And that big word has been around, I don't know, 25 plus years. Yeah. I remember talking about convergence back in my early days, uh, pre-2000s in music business. But this is the real deal. It's evolved now. Virtual reality, trans artificial intelligence, transmedia. So... To just give you a little breakdown, Andrew, you're a filmmaker by trade, cinematographer, but now you're an innovation consultant, I'd say. I know you've yeah. done stuff for Google, Microsoft, Nike, on and on, Facebook. Why don't you yeah. tell us a little bit about what you do now as an yeah. innovation type consultant and what you did previously and how they've combined it to kind of converge into being part technology, part artistry as a filmmaker. Yeah, Maybe yeah. let's start with that. Sure, yeah, dive right into it. Or just have a shot of tequila first. And La Gritona. Dive into that. This is the best. You We're gotta, giving a shout out. This was a nice This is gift. not a sponsorship. This is just a gift. I'm now sponsored by... <laughs> I like to be sponsored. La Gritona. La Gritona. Free sponsorship here <laughs> on the deal. It's just your go-to. Yeah. Um, I know you're a tequila guy, so I, I had to- I am a tequila guy. Know. And it's happy hour somewhere. It's I'm not a tequila guy, and this is, we're going deep on this. And I like got cool. super into this. It's a buddy of mine's company, and it's amazing. Yeah, your songs I've had it with you before, yeah, and I'm thrilled have, yeah. to have my own we'll bottle. Anyway, uh, in answer to your question, there so, might be three guys in Romania that buy a bottle now. Your buddy's going to get huge in the Eastern Bloc. Big in the Eastern Bloc. <laughs> Um, so I came up as a cinematographer. Yeah. I mean, I have a long thing before that doing camera work as an assistant and working on a bunch of big movies, which was great. But over the last 15 years, I was a cinematographer shooting commercials and movies, right? bunch of Super Bowl stuff, you know, movies on Netflix and whatever. And then five years ago, I started, uh, we were doing this job and I needed to, this Nike job and we needed to capture backgrounds. So we brought some partners together to capture, build this crazy camera that allowed us to capture 32K super high resolution spherical camera, which we ended up using for a bunch of VR stuff. Massive. How R big would you say massive? Well, physically it was 24, 24 or 28 inches wide. 
but also it was huge pipeline, ton of data capturing like a spherical, everything that you see around you. Got and it. it was started part of a trend, which kind of sent me on a different dog leg in one way. And another way was sort of like a continuation of what I'd always done. And it's really like the idea of where imaging has gone, the idea of where photography has gone is moving into a place where we don't just take a picture anymore. We like are sampling a huge area. So yeah. for example, that's where video games, like this big idea of open world gaming. So you start a video game instead of just going from point A to point B or, you know, following the, the bouncing ball. Now you're actually, you can explore, you know, the old West. And it's about kind of like being able to go anywhere and having agency in that world. So now that's, that's impacting imaging. That's impacting how we capture footage and how we deliver that. So some of that yeah. is in a video gaming space, some of that is in movies, some of that is in VR. And the idea is that no longer are we just delivering a rectangle. We just have so much more information, we can access so much more. So I've sort of followed that a little bit into how do we capture it? And from a, from a filmmaker standpoint, how do you curate that image? If, you're, if, if the device that everyone has in their pocket, Netflix and whatever you're watching on, is delivering to a phone, like what kind of access does that give you in terms of what you can look around at? It's connected to your shopping, e-commerce, your search mm -hmm. history, your location. Like how does that change how we program? So that's sort of what I've been doing, that's, answering those questions. That is a quick, a quick summary of a very complicated it landscape. <laughs> so before we dive deep into that, why don't we go back to your early career, how you started in filmmaking, what your experience was. I know you've said you've you start at the bottom, but on big movies. Why don't we start there or even further back where you grew up, where you went to school, then how you got into film. Yeah. And then walk us up until now and then we can get it more into specifics on this immersive technology that you're talking about. And it's very it's fascinating because I'm in real estate and clearly this is now layering on to what we do in terms of virtual reality and artificial right. intelligence. And it's probably still at the early stages, but yeah. I do see a day where very soon where virtual reality is a way to be looking at properties all over the world. And, and I've had people show me projects in Hong Kong and London by popping them on. So clearly that's here yeah. and I can only imagine where that's going to go. But let's let's go back to the old the old you before you were famous in Bulgaria. Uh, <laughs> walk us through the, the, the young years, the early years. Uh, this reminds me of that scene in Goonies. Remember when he's like, <laughs> What's your story, kid? Um, so I grew up in Kansas City. Yeah. And uh, was there until I went to college in New York. Left left at 17 and went and did that at NYU. Yeah. Were you a film student? Uh, I started in photography. I started in the general program, then kind of went into photography and then got into film. Took a leave of absence, went to the UK, studied at University of Westminster. Actually with Sarah. We had met in, when, I was, when we went to camp together. This is my wife that you yes, already know. Yes, I know well. And um, so we both kind of agreed we were both going to go to London together. And that was sort of where we picked up and where our relationship started. But when I was there, I was sort of had to pick a tract for like what, what I was going to do. I knew I was doing film, but how was I going to get specific about that? Everyone else wanted to be a director. Mm -hmm. I had no interest in being a director. I just wanted, I was interested in the technology and I was interested in the imaging. I'd always been super interested in lighting. I remember when I was like, when I was, you know, five, maybe younger, I guess I was in a car seat in the back seat. My mom drove this 78 Caprice classic and it was blue and it had this blue velour, you know, seating and bench nice. seating. I could picture it. And, and I remember I was like, I somehow like parents used to leave their kids in the car when they'd go and run errands. I've never yeah. done that. I feel like maybe I should start doing that. that that's but, what people used to do a lot. They used to not have seatbelts. They yeah, used to smoke cigarettes. So there was a lot of things that were considered normal. 
So sitting in, I remember seeing the sun coming in through the window and looking at the light hitting the seat, the front seat, and thinking like, which, which color blue is it? Is it the blue in the shadow or is like, what's the color? How would you define the blue of this car? And I remember that being a thing. So I was always like, so you're always engaged with that. Yeah. That always kind of drove me. And so, um, Went to New, went to New York and was was at school there and was so overwhelmed. I went to Jewish school growing up. Okay, and I went to New York and I met my first non-Jews, like because I was in this kind of insular, not in an orthodox way. I was just like you know Jewish. Everybody Kansas was City. Jewish everywhere you went. So then I go to New York and I was like, wow, it's like there's a whole world, whole there. world. There's a lot of people that aren't <laughs> Jewish out there. So that was a thing, and um, and it was a totally eye-opening experience in every way. And I got super into photography and got super excited about that. And then knew that I wanted to get into film in some way and whatever, did some internships and whatever. And then I graduated. Before I graduated, I moved out here. I have some family here. My dad's family's from here. And I got to know, um, I started working at Panavision, was a camera rental house, and got to know technology of cameras and lenses and heads and all kinds of different accessories. And so while I was there, because you're just sort of sitting around and you, know, you have to kind of make your own initiative, I got to know these guys that happened to be Spielberg's camera team. So then we went back to New York they were going to do a movie in New York. It was called Coyote Ugly. And I went and shot the first six months of that movie in New York. Took off school. Insane. And it was crazy. And then I came out. And right after I graduated, I jumped in. And we did this movie, Salt and Sea. And then did AI. And I started running with Spielberg's run. camera team. Yeah. There you go. Minority Report and AI. And how many years were you with that crew? I did that for like three years, I guess. And was that a massive education it on was everything film? It was insane. I mean, you know, yeah. Michael Mann, Spielberg. Brockheimer, yeah. Fincher, like a ton of big movies. Just legends and icons yeah. everywhere. So yeah. you're just soaking it up, learning, young guy. Yeah. But it sounds like, so from the early days, it wasn't about, hey, I want to be a filmmaker and write creative film. It was really you were into the technology and the yeah. artistry of photography. That's right. Yep. Not, you know, the purest of yeah. the, you know, the camera work, not necessarily the story, totally. so to speak. Well, I mean, it's, it was like the visual story aspect of it, but I'm not a writer. It's like yeah. not my skill set. It's more about activating writing. Got it. So obviously that's a great background for doing anything in film once you've been on a crew like that, that mm -hmm. level. So at some yeah. point from there, you moved on up the, the, the ladder. And yeah, I started, started doing So as an assistant, stuff. like the, the assistant is the grunt. You know, there's the PA and there's the camera assistant and then you move up and you're pulling Wait, focus. Is the camera assistant above the PA? Yeah, barely. Yeah. Really. Camera, I started as a camera trainee and then, you know, yeah. it was the whole union thing. But I mean, I've had, you know, start from the bottom, man, of, you know, cleaning wheels on a, on a truck. It was like the frat experience I never had. Yeah. You're getting hazed. Hazed. And it was good. You know, that's like, you know, you know, it's sort of like learning how to cut film physically and just get into the, into the weeds on yeah. how to actually work the technology. Yeah. So, um, that was how I went up, became an operator and I, it was always the technology driven thing. So when I started, Instead of just being a camera PA or a trainee or an assistant, I was actually working with this technology. I joined the union doing this technology. It was called the preview system, which was basically I would have a still camera and this super high res printer that was built by Kodak. And it would you would take the lenses that you're shooting the movie with and you would bring the software into a computer and you could look at you could emulate what different film stocks might look like, what different filters might look like, because in the old huh. days when you were processing film, you would just send the film off to the lab and it would come back and it could be a million different ways. I mean, the variability that could come back with the Got temperature it. of the bath, the water, the timing, the wow. belts, the light, like it could be totally different. And so this was a way of imaging and saying, here's what we want it to look like. Here's a reference. Got it. So that was sort of what how I got started. And then I moved up and operating and then I started to get into stabilized remote heads. So it was 
how you take a, you know, when you're on the back of a camera car or something and how you keep that image locked or when you're on an aircraft, how you keep that image locked for car commercials yeah. or for, you know, that kind of stuff. So real so, technical stuff. Yeah. But, but finding tech, finding like artistic ways of using technology tools, because there's a lot of, there's also a lot of crap out there that's not, you know, not ready for prime time. And especially now, like, I think the business has changed in such a dramatic way in so many ways. But if, if nothing else, because we are in such an asymptote, it's like things change so quickly now that we don't even have time to catch up. So mm-hmm. it, there doesn't, and I've dealt with this a little bit with Facebook and with a couple other products where these things aren't even a product yet. It's not even a product and we're on to the next one. Got it. And it's like never, never. We're on 2.0 and 3.0 before 1.0 ever even is it's like used. It's like you're on 0. 0.2, 0. 0.3 before you yeah. even get to one. So it's evolving just. Too fast in some ways. Mock speed. Yeah. Yeah. So here we are in LA and we've had this conversation <clears throat> before. Uh, Silicon Beach, sort of the, the center of the universe for everything yeah. and especially entertainment, media, technology. And here you are at the forefront of all of that. So in layman's terms, for the rest of us, and especially the dummy that I am, what is going on? What would you say is going on now in entertainment and film and TV? And where do you see it going uh, in terms of how these technologies are being used, whether it's VR, whether it's something else I don't even know about? What, where are we at now? How much? How widespread is it? And then in the short term, the next three, four, five years, where what will we be looking at? And then 10, 20 years out, what do you think it's going to look like? Right. I think there, you're seeing the convergence of all these media, but you're also seeing a, a, the, the conditions under which this is created has, has been probably based on four major issues, I would say. One is the breakdown of the commercial market and how, in terms of commercial advertising, how that market has changed so dramatically based on our viewing habits. Because those properties used to be sold based on you know, a, uh, an advertiser would be supporting a television program like back in the, you know, right. the Reynolds oh, hour. 30-second spot, and now nobody's DVR. DVR, no one's even watching the Super Bowl. Right. I mean, the numbers are insane. And we're used to spending, while you're still spending a bunch for what that, for the time slot, the cost for production have gone way down. So now you have these tools that you can achieve a really high professional product at a really low cost. Okay. So, you know, we used to do Super Bowl commercials. We did stuff for Budweiser and for McDonald's and... Old Spice, and it would be you know three million dollar job, and now it's like maybe three hundred thousand, maybe wow. it's one hundred fifty thousand for that same job. For that same job, incredible with visual effects, the whole nine yards. You yeah. can just do it cheaper, and you can do it faster. And so, because that market started to contract in terms of what kind of money they were spending, there's also been the the process of how you know once you do something cheaper. You can't do it again for you don't get more money the next time around. It gets smaller and smaller. Smaller. And smaller. It's it's going one direction. One direction. So cut the budget. Cut the budget. Cut the budget. And you do it, and you make, and then you have cut the schedule, but you can still kind of get there. Same deal. So that's one. The two is the fact that the the cinema market, you know, where movies have gone, based on who's attending theaters, has contracted in a major way. Like people just don't go to the theater. I mean, when was the last time you went to the theater? What was the last movie you saw? I can't even tell you. Yeah. I mean, I don't go that often. Not like and I love film and right. I love stories and I, you know, but yeah, I'm not there often. <clears throat> I don't know if that's because I've changed my lifestyle habits or if it's just being a father of three and you just never get out of the house. And to, access because you got it at home. Well, right. Because that's, that's the, the third thing where you have, now you have much streaming more convenient services. at home. It's all convenient. You but know, it's, it's not the same experience, but it's a whole different experience. 
So that's, so so that's a big part of it. No one's going to the movies the way they used to. That's right. So now you have studios that aren't that aren't spending like they used to. They also, because now they're part of these massive conglomerates that are bottom line focused. And now instead of going out and making something creative, you're making Marvel movie number 15, you know, and then number 16. And it's sort of the same iterative thing. John yeah. Wick 3. It's just all these series because there's a there's a general Big tent pole type of yeah they're too risk asset. averse you know so then you don't get interesting movies and then you're trying then suddenly you're trying to sell a billion units you know and there's this is another kind of piece of the of the product market where a company like Canon where you know you have camera manufacturers that have always kind of made the best this specific thing and this might be true across other industries too where you have one specific product that was the best the best watch the best computer. Now it's about selling a billion units instead of selling the best. You know, the best. And that changed a lot of markets. And that changed in 2007 with Canon when they came out with this 5D Mark II, which was basically a still camera that you could shoot super high-end video with. Changed that market entirely. And now you so could do... That is 2007? 2007, 2008. That was yeah. your first camera. Wait a minute. So that's a huge thing for anyone that's a photographer or a filmmaker. So you can... It, was it a cheaper... It was cheaper. They basically discovered, and it was designed for photojournalists, saying like, "Hey, let's give these guys a, the, a, the ability to film." Yeah, and they're shoot in Iraq and, and they're doing a thing. Like, let's yeah. do that. And so they have that. They put that functionality. So how much was that when it came out? Twenty five hundred bucks. So back then it was twenty five hundred bucks. So when that came out, now you can shoot video from your camera, your same small little thing. Yep. So what is that? Something like that today? It's got to have been. Well, so then Canon smartly tried to create another higher tier, which yeah. is their, it's called the C300, C700, which is like, hey, let's take that technology, but put in a more expensive package. Yeah. And some people did it because it gives you some access to tools and it's more robust and whatever. You can put it on a big tripod, but it's still not, you know, it's still basically the same technology. Yeah. And also product cycles have, have accelerated to such an insane degree that like, you know, two, three cameras are coming out every year from the same manufacturer. Yeah. So you're just in this place where everything is like sharpening to a spear. And I think also like you're describing with real estate, all these all these different businesses are starting to converge anyway. And I would put at the center of that the fact that we are no longer looking at rectangles. I think now we are in an immersive environment, whether that's that affords you all kinds of different opportunities. See, rectangle, you mean TV, TV screen, screen, film screen, you're watching. There yeah. it is. Now we're yeah. looking at, I guess, do you call it? Is it three? What do you call it? Three D virtual. It's just the whole world. Immersive, it's just everything. So just everything. everything. Yeah. And that's so that's in video games, that's in VR headsets, that's in a you know, your phone looking around like a magic window. But I'm not seeing that when I go to the movie theater every couple of months. I'm not not seeing, yet. Not yeah, yet. I'm not I only I see it when my kids are playing video games. I'm like, what the heck is this? But it's growing because if you look, for example, so Disney is making new if you go to the El Capitan now with Dumbo, they're making these new um, interactive screens. So you go up the movie poster is now interactive. You can interact with it. It's there's a camera, it's looking at you. There are these new dome displays. There's some downtown LA. LA is like a nexus for this stuff. Got it. So it's there. I just haven't explored. MSG Sphere, which is something I've been involved with for the last several months, is this massive 500 foot wide, huge. It'll be the biggest LED screen in the world. Been in Las Vegas, to opening on the property, the Venetian. And what and, will that be? So what is that? So this is a huge, it's basically like, you know, 180 degree screen. It's almost like IMAX, but times 100, literally. The screen, you go in the middle and the screen wraps around you? It's You sit in a, in a arena, basically like 18,000 people. Yeah, it's 18, a huge 18,000 people? It's enormous, yeah. So it's like going to Madison Square Garden bigger. or, the, you know. Yeah. Bigger, bigger. The, the ceiling is like 350 feet tall and it's the biggest screen in the world. 
And so this, the idea of this is a cinematic display technology is just transcending what we're accustomed to seeing as a rectangle. So we're watching films or that? What, what all I the do? above. Anything. You're watching, you know, the background of a Coldplay concert. You know, you're watching films. You're watching esports. Anything that you can watch can be in this that's experience. Right. And right. you think that's where we're going with <clears throat> public entertainment instead of going to a movie theater, you go to an an experience like that? Well, I think you'll have stuff at home. You'll have something you'll experience at home, whether it's with glasses and something that's lightweight or you have your screen. But I think the, we are, over the next five years, you will see us move beyond rectangles. And maybe the most important thing is that as we're moving into this autonomous vehicle space, now you're, tra- you know, you're commuting a half hour, 40 minutes, an hour. Now you're surrounded by screens. And there's no reason they have to be rectangles. So it's just as all this technology is getting to a place of, of, of low latency, of like where an, a screen can look like a window, as you're getting to that high fidelity, now it's like, why do you have to, why would you go look at a rectangle? Like, I can just look at this whole space. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that every story is told that way. It just means that now you can. Yeah. And you can in a mass market way That's and right. in an accessible way that That's right. it's not going to cost $50,000 to buy a special piece at home. Yeah. This but you'll gonna... go to Madison Square Garden and that, I think, I don't think they've set ticket price yet, but They'll that be might up. be 500 bucks a ticket. Who knows? Yeah. To experience that live. Because you're creating a high end experience and then. Ultimately, I think every theater that we know of, you know, you go to Century City, you go to yeah, you know, the, the Arclight. That, that business model will have, we'll have surrounding. And I mean, this happened before. This happened in the 50s when TV was threatening the movie market. And that's why you had Cinerama. And that's why you had these other technologies that were like, we're going to create this super wide thing. Like, I think yeah. from a storytelling perspective, we the filmmakers and, and even artists have always tried to tell whatever the biggest story they could tell on whatever the biggest canvas they could tell. And that was like, that goes back to the Globe Theater. Like the rectangle's random. The Globe Theater was basically told, you know, in the round, it was in this huge experience where you had all kinds of things that were coming down from above and below. You have, think about like dioramas. Yeah. You know, think about all these different experiences, cave paintings. I mean, there was never a rectangle. That's just kind of like what we did because that was what we could do with the TV. Right. Right. So at the end of the day, though, with all this technology, with all the, the different way to experience it and absorb it, isn't it still going to be about storytelling and character? I mean, what it's got to be a poignant message. It's got right. it's got to be a universal themes or that's some right. sort of interesting uh, theme or story that's going to draw people in. I that's mean, the true. experience may be cool the first five, 10, 20 times just so wow, experience it. But at the end of the day, human beings want human connection stories. So what does it mean for the true, you know, for the for the writers and the creators? Is what changes for that? I mean, it. It's a great question. I mean, this is a big problem. I think this is actually the most dangerous thing about what's happening right now. Is you have companies like Google and Facebook and Microsoft and Intel, and they're companies that are doing great, amazing things, and are also under fire for some of those things they try yeah. to do. But at the end of the day, their mission is something that's very different than telling great stories. Like. Amazon doesn't necessarily care about telling great stories. People at Amazon Studios do, but the, the Amazon small. mission wants to sell Prime memberships. And Google wants to collect more data. And mm-hmm. Facebook wants to be able to connect people. And so it's not it's not really about that. You know, it's sort of like, you know, it's the idea of how IKEA is really in the commodities business and McDonald's is in the real estate business. Right. Like it's it's not really what you think it it's is. It's not what you think. And so when you when it comes to storytelling and being able to use these big spaces, it's very expensive especially at first, you got these heavy upfront hardware costs. So a lot of it's driven by ha- hardware manufacturers. And that was the problem with VR is that the idea of virtual reality as a headset, I mean, is a problem because ultimately you have HTC, you have, you know, Samsung and all these manufacturers that are solely focused on the display. I don't care about story. They're cl- focused on selling units yeah. and a billion units, not even like, you know, 100,000 high-end ones. Yeah. 
So that's the, the issue is really making sure that the focus is on storytelling and on getting artists, getting the right tools in the hands of artists. Yeah. That's kind at of the like end of the day, it gets back to the artists have to create art yeah. or none, yeah. no one's going to watch anything. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I it's like the music business. You know, it's, you know, it's yeah. Like, if there's no songwriting, there's no publishing, there's no anything. I mean, uh, the other stuff is sort of icing on the cake is what it is. If, if you, the content, the intellectual property always yeah. is at the heart of, of any of it. And of course, it's the balance between art and commerce. That's always been a balance. It, it's still a balance in this new technology era, but it, it, it always... It's amazing me because we're talking entertainment and we're talking technology companies, you know, yeah. and you know we're not saying Warner Brothers and Paramount and Universal and uh, Capital Record. We're talking Facebook, Google, Amazon, yeah. Netflix. So, and that's happened really quickly. I mean, ten years ago, you weren't having that conversation. Yeah. So everything is up and is sort of up in the air and evolving and changing. And that that's interesting because those companies. You know, Apple and um, and Netflix and Amazon now have their studio divisions and their their studio creative executives that are developing projects just like they would at any That's right. studio. But behind that is the machine. And yeah. you know, I don't know. Is that any different than you know, Paramount was bought out by so and so, and Universal was bought out, and everyone has a conglomerate supporting them, and the the film and TV divisions are just small slices of those conglomerates. They've been that way, you know, for the last 30, 40 years. That's right. I don't know if there's any if there's much difference there. Uh, it's just it's just fascinating. So, what do you think about uh, Netflix becoming a content machine, Amazon becoming a content machine, Apple becoming the content like? What do you where do you see that going? Do you see them swallowing up all the best talent and they're the, trying the traditional studios disappear? They're trying. Uh, do they merge? Where, where do you see this going in the next five years? You'll see some mergers for sure. I mean, you know, the studios aren't making any money and they're going to end up being divested out of these corporations because they're just not returning anything. There was a time when it was like a marquee thing. It was like cool to have, yeah. a you know, a vanity. Yeah. Everyone yeah, yeah. wanted to have the, yeah. the imprint, the film, TV, music imprint. And Apple and Netflix have been spending big to get people in, but they're also not profitable. I mean, this is like the secret is that these are not necessarily profitable companies. It's really about getting more credit and so they can spend and, and ultimately, you know, maybe they'll spin off a region or something. That'll yeah. be different. But I think the, the challenge is that when I think about I also connect this to music because when you look at Spotify, which is both amazing and crazy, there's it's hard to, you know. What Spotify has done is taken like this insane glut of music and allowed you to, I can look up and find Michael Jackson or I can go on and find, you know, a specific song right. that I want. But if I'm looking at one of their playlists, there are so many, you know, their generated playlists. It's a yeah. bunch of random stuff I've never heard of. Right. I like some of it and I don't and some, you know, some other stuff I don't. And it's, it's helped to categorize how you find that. And that's part of the magic of their algorithm, of their algorithm with Netflix and Amazon it's really hard to find things. It's hard to find things that you want to watch. And so I think the challenge is in an effort to own so much of the entertainment space, they're making everything. And so then you start to lose the curation of like, I want to go see a Disney movie. I know what a Disney movie is. I don't know what a Netflix movie is. And I think part of the the hang up is like, I don't know. I think that starts to, in in a dangerous way, devalue what we're making. And this is, you know, Spielberg had this, came out and, and said something about Netflix that they're not making movies. They're basically making TV movies. And it wasn't wrong. I think it was a little short-sighted. I think the problem is, is that that's where things are going anyway. And that's yeah. what sucks. Because well, they're making Narcos. <laughs> that's Drop the, other the mic. Direction. That's I mean, the- what can you say there? You say all you want, Steven Spielberg, but they are making some incredible <clears throat> content. And, you know. He would say that's not a movie. 
I don't know that it's a movie either, but whatever it is, it's it's engaging entertainment. That's the thing. I think the point is that maybe it doesn't matter. And I think the thing that's that sort of is a bummer about it is that I think the way that we grew up knowing movies will not be the way that our kids grew up knowing movies. And the way that we grew up knowing music and artists is not the way that our kids. I mean, think about think about the Beatles. Think about you know you yeah. two. Think about the fandom about certain styles of music and certain artists. Like right. you, you're not going to have that anymore. Yeah, there's too yeah. much going on. Oh, the world's just not what it Never used to be. be. But, you know, isn't that what, what, well, that's what we thing. thought about our parents and grandparents when we started listening to rap and you know, alternative rock and Pearl Jam Nirvana and Run Dave? What is this music you're listening to? And we we're like, this is this is the real deal. Yeah, you just don't. Yeah, 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 now yeah. they're saying it about us. Maybe now we're it's the exact old, same thing. I don't know. Just you in think? a different way. I think it's the exact same thing. It's just a different iteration, iteration of it. Right. So we can go deeper and deeper. And I'm not a technologist in any way. So I want to spin back to. Yeah. Some fun, interesting stories. What can you tell me? Some something that you can share from being on the set. I know you've you've shot in some very exotic places. Yes. Um, yes. So, you, anything come to mind that you can share? Whether it's a place, whether it's an experience, uh, anything that you feel would be um, okay to share. Let me think. So I, I got to take some names. Listening to, yeah, so, exactly. And so gotta, are potentially a lot of people we uh, go to school with. together. All right. Yeah. I got to really so censor let's not myself. Talk about the Romania. To, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, let me think of some good. Some That's good where st- Lee knows you from, right? Yeah. That's where you heard about those stories. We won't talk about those. Big in the Eastern Bloc. <laughs> um, some story. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is when I was just getting started talking about starting the ground up. I remember there was a. I was late to a shoot one day. I just moved to L.A. and I was living with my aunt and uncle in Topanga, and I was like racing to the set. We were shooting Salton Sea, and it was in. We were shooting at that uh, cemetery that's sort of like West Adams, south of 10, with a ton of palm trees and, okay. and headstones. And it's a dawn shot. And so, you know, you got to get there super so, early. And I'm like, totally. You know, it was one of those days I think I slept through my alarm, which is the worst thing that can happen to a person. And You're you just, going from Topanga Canyon to South Central. It was horrible. And, I, and I'm sure I left too late. And it was nice commute. Things. Yeah, it was easy. It was, it was like probably three in the morning. Got but. it. So that's... I get there and it's for a dawn shot. So we show up early and the whole company's there and it's, you know, I'm like super low man on the totem pole. I'm just, it's like one of my first three movies and uh, we show up and it's, and it's dawn and we're waiting and, and no one's seen Val Kilmer who's in the movie and Where's we're waiting Val? and we, we're, no one knows. And he was like, went for a ride on his, on his motorcycle. Couldn't find the guy. He's riding in Topanga. Yeah. And then <laughs> that's where he a lift. <laughs> yeah. And and it was so I'm like I was so glad man that he didn't show up when he was late because <laughs> no one was paying attention. I, no one was paying attention. And then I get there and where's the coffee boy? I don't know. We're from, where's Val? It turns out the scene that we needed was just a super fast scene. It was like you know a beat where we're there and then we're on to move a big company move to somewhere else in L.A. And so we're waiting and waiting and waiting and I'm just so glad that I've like somehow skated by under the wire. And then uh, <laughs> he then he shows up. And it turns out we ended up spending all day. He had what he'd done is he'd like disappeared and written like three pages of dialogue. And right. so like totally borked the day. And we had we shot this whole scene there and it was like it was a total save. waste of time. Or yeah. A- no, it was. I mean, it's in the movie, but it was it, is, a, it did yeah. make the cut. And then another time similarly, because oh, he you know, I think he's kind of saw the writing on the wall in this movie. Um, we were shooting the scene up at that uh, Sinatra residence in Calabasas. You know, that cool one with the yeah. view. And uh, couldn't find him. He was like out doing something MIA. else, taking a ride. Yeah. And um, we, so every time he would wow. take off, I would get in trouble for something. And so 
we were uh, sh- up there and we're like sitting around, you know, after it's, we've got, I know we've gone to lunch. It's been six hours and you're now still we're like waiting around, lunch, still waiting around. I and think so, Val uh, took a ride with Lock Bretonia and uh, was I having, would have. And, uh, took a, took and like, a long hey, lunch. Hey, Shulkin, can you go, uh, can you clean the wheels on the, uh, on the 18 wheeler? And like, on the 18 that's when I learned about mother's polish. <laughs> How long did that take? A, oh, it took all day. It took the rest. We went home. We never shot anything. And oh, I just God. spent the next six hours polishing the wheels. Oh, yeah, the shiny wheels. That yeah. brings me to a, a, an interesting question. How much waste is there in production? I I see, like, they shoot in my neighborhood all the time, little commercials and TV. And there's, like, hundreds of people in trucks. I'm thinking, and no one's doing it. It just seems so inefficient. I know there's unions involved, and the unionization of it must have, yeah. have spiraled out of control. But... Well, as a professional, what, there's what, a lot of hurry up and wait. I mean, I think it's easy to to say they there's meet a, those 200 people sitting there for the. They're all working at some time. I mean, you never know. Obviously, in some yeah. cases, people are wasted. But these days, with budgets, what they are like, there there isn't the waste that there used to be. God, it used, it used to be to, worse. The transpo guys are the ones that you see sitting around all the time, but they're just waiting in between rounders, and then they're taking the you know the 15 pass van down to crew parking. So yeah. They're, everyone's working at some point. And I have to say, in, in this MSG project that I've been working on, which is really kind of like rebuilding the film industry in its own way, because they're like, well, let's, we don't have to kind of abide by any of the stuff. Let's do our own thing over here and figure out how it works better. Yeah, We've had to take a real close look at how things work and are there other efficiencies that can kind of live in a new system? Because everything's kind of up for grabs. Everything's can be reset. Yeah. And it's interesting to look at that. We've taken a super hard look at how things work. And I think there's there are some efficiencies, but... It works pretty well. Yeah. It works pretty well. All right. So how about any sketchy stories, any scary, sketchy places overseas or situations you've been in? I, I'm thinking now of a situation you told me about with um, with Adam, but it was not film related. That was not film related. Were you guys in the Middle East? We were in the UAE. I don't even know if we we're, were allowed to discuss that. that we're allowed to talk about okay, that. Okay. That, that, that wasn't film related, but you were like, <laughs> we were, you had a camera and tell me what happened. <laughs> That was we you were and Adam in, Nathanson are getting into trouble. I'm glad I missed that trip. We've gotten into some trouble together. We were in Abu Dhabi. This, I mean, this was pretty safe. There's some other stories that well, we'll talk about over this. tequila with. Um, we were in Abu Dhabi and we were on this this cool trip, this great mission. We met some awesome people there, basically talking about what what is what a bilateral trade opportunities between L.A. specifically and Abu Dhabi and where the opportunities are because they have this really burgeoning film industry there and they're yeah. really well sponsored. There's this amazing there's a the uae is amazing they have a minister of ai they have a minister of a minister of ai and they also have a minister of of entertainment of media and entertainment and they're they they're they have it dialed in That's there a good job to have and they're not so they've created a free trade opportunity there they've created like this tax-free zone and they're smart and i think really what's happened is like dubai really like outpaced a lot of what was happening in, in Abu Dhabi in terms of production, you know, mm-hmm. Mission Impossible shot there and Fast and the Furious. Got it. So they're nine. film friendly. Is there, is there tax incentives oh, yeah. and yeah. bonuses? Yeah. And, and you know, the, also the thing is there really isn't a huge film community there. So every, it's not an issue to fly there, people can, in. No, uh, there aren't so many crews there. So uh, bring everyone in and it's still, it's still affordable to do. It's still cheaper. So that was, we were doing a lot of that, but we went to the American embassy and you know, all the guys out front are, are, either like Bangladeshi or Emirati. There are people who work, who are locals that are, you know, working security. Brought in. Yeah. And maybe they're from somewhere else, actually. They're, but they were all local folks. 
And so we're outside and we have this whole meeting inside. We come out and I just wanted to take a picture because the building is amazing. It looks like, you know, it's like a like a pyramid. So as we're pulling away, there's when it's on a street, the all the embassies in Abu Dhabi are on a street that have, you know, there's like all the embassies are there. And you're not, apparently you're not allowed to have cameras. Oh, you're not allowed to have cameras in Abu Dhabi. Okay. Well, on this street, you're not. Glad that someone told you about that. So there were pictures. I mean, I knew there were signs around. I, yeah. I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing it. But we were in an armor, you know, thing. And so we're taking pictures and uh, of the embassy, some, you know, great pictures. And it was just a cool, imposing looking building. And, you know, pulled over. Excuse me. And I, you know, what are you talking about? What happened? What did I do? Like, what did I do? This guy, get out. They pulled you out of the car. Yeah, and I'm thinking, what, what did I do? And we I'm, were then, like, you know, detained for a while. Yeah, you looking at your pants kind of thing or you knew it was not a big deal like what was I, the scene the scene was i mean it was the american embassy i was like we just who, just who do we talk to we just go in and talk to phil again because he'll come out and solve this in a minute but yeah. you know everyone's shouting and it was a whole thing yeah there been <laughs> some di- i will say the diciest <laughs> thing i had i think was in china coming into the country with a bunch of equipment and parts and you know we're shooting we're shooting a budweiser commercial and we had all this equipment and in china in china we're in beijing and we had you know you have to have this carnet there's a document that you have that lists serial numbers and pictures of everything of your equipment all the equipment so they know you're not importing or exporting oh god and we left something off the carnet it was like a rush deal we left something off yeah. and so you know pulled into a room a whole shakedown and we're Shake like down. Well, we're just bringing equipment in there was it happened another time actually in Nova Scotia. We were shooting another thing for Budweiser actually, and where I was like Nova Scotia, like we show up and we had a bunch of stuff in our carry-ons and the you know it's all a bunch of batteries and gears and whatever, yeah. and we throw it into the the uh, we're coming back now we're coming back from Nova Scotia to New York and we have all our cases put them through the metal detector, and the woman who's looking at the screen, like thought like. This is the one that she'd been preparing for. She's like, oh, 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 my word. And no, this is like, we have like a bunch of Budweiser like nine productive. cameras, you know, yeah. and she's like, oh, oh, this is uh, you know, <laughs> the whole thing. That's it. The we're, Taliban's coming. we're in Nova Scotia. We're yeah. in Halifax. And it's we're like we were shut down, missed our flight, you know, six hours, six hours. Oh, it yeah. took them that long to so figure out you that doing? you guys we're are like, shooting a Budweiser guys, commercial. We've been shooting here for like, you know, six weeks. We've been in every <laughs> yeah. city in the in yeah. the country. You, now you're on to us. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was. It so was that's dicey. the kind of stuff that happens. You get shut down at airports. Well, that's just the stuff I can share here. Got it. Damn. <laughs> There's some uh, there was a pretty dicey situation that happened when we were in Prague. There's there's a couple of them. Some it's are, all Eastern Bloc stories. All right. I'm I'm not, we'll Bloc. wait for uh, the tequila nights to do that. So tell me a little bit about you're a father of three. Four. Father of four. You knew oh, that. my God. You knew that. I did know that. So how do you balance it? I mean, your wife has a huge career as well. Uh She'd be fun to have on the on the podcast. We'll see. She's here. Uh, <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> so, how do you guys balance it? What do you, how do you do with your shooting in China and Beijing and the Eastern Bloc and God knows where, Nova Scotia? So, how do you do it? I don't know, man. I don't. I mean, on, I like what what Allison said in your podcast. There's no balance. There is no balance. You're imbalanced. You know how this goes. It's I like, get it. I just like to hear what other people say about I it. I think you're. You know. I, you're riding the wave on the verge of wiping out That's and you, you wipe said. out and get back on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the deal there's, there's something I've thought about recently. Cause I just, I, I, I did these two movies two years ago and, uh, I was gone for like nine months out of the year and, and not at the same time. I was like gone for three. I, I kind of remember for, you this being is gone. Romania yeah. and I was gone. Yeah. I was this in Atlanta. Is what I remember you being gone and it was really hard. It was hard on them. It was hard on me. And you, you know, 
it's like you power through it. I think of like a, you know, a ballerina. These like people who were like going to go hard on their career, like you just power through it. You just yeah. through the pain. The you physical your, yeah. challenge of an athlete or something like that. I'm not suggesting that I'm no, no, that but way. I'm just like, the, you're just focused on the your mental, thing. The mental grind of it. So you're not, you know, you're like, I, I have to do this. And then you realize like it has its own toll on you. And so I never want to be the person that would say, hey, I'm not going to do this because I want to be, I want to stay at home. I, I don't know. For some reason, I felt like I never wanted that to be a reason why I wouldn't do something yep. creatively because you just have to kind of throw yourself into it in a lot of ways. And I, that really changed me after that, after that movie, uh, after the second one. I was like, because then I came back and then I went to Uganda for a month. Yeah. And I almost missed my son's like when my twin when Olivia and Sadie were born, I was in Ireland and I like yeah. barely missed their almost missed their birth. I would think that you'd miss a lot of things. You start to miss things. And I to. and because I mean the beauty is so much of my career has been commercials, so it's two weeks here, or I'll do some kind of a promo there, you know, I'll shoot some product Got it. demo. So for it's something. a short production cycle. And it's one of the things that's sort of kept me from doing from like going out of town on you know, South Africa for six months just because that really wasn't my path. And I and ultimately, I think, and this is sort of ties into what we were talking about earlier, is that I, I don't know that like movies long term are really where I want to put myself because I don't know if that's really where we're going. We're yeah. just we're going to a different place. Got and it. I feel like at, at this moment in time, there's there's something that's happening that I'm fortunate enough to like kind of have been a part of and have some some coincidental kind of expertise yeah. in. And so it was sort of a weird convergence for me. But I think you know, being away that long is, was really hard. And I just turned down this movie that was going to take me away for four months. And I've, I felt really mixed about it at the time. It just so happened that now I'm also doing this MSG thing. So it kind of worked out just yeah as the world does. But as I was thinking about that and I was talking with some friends about it, I was kind of like, what, you know, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy that's never there to pick his kids up. Yeah. I don't want to be that guy that's never, but I might be that guy right now. Yeah. And then you're not that guy. And I mean, you know me, we, you know, there's, there's like different phases, different times of your yeah, life. Sometimes and... you're not. A, well, I don't even just mean like years. I just mean like, all right, I'm, now I'm not around and I miss the kids, whatever. Yeah. And then I come back and I'm around for a long time and I, and yeah. they know me and there's an engagement. And so I think like, and I was reflecting on what Allison was saying in your interview with her. Yeah, Allison Pilevsky. Yeah, it was similar. And it's sort of like she had to do what she, you know, what she feels strongly about. Sure. And then, and then you're back on. Yeah. And you're only that guy. To the extent that you're that guy all the time and you kind of like dip in and out of it, especially when you're focused on something that and, and I think that actually sends a really positive message to kids about like this is daddy doing something that's really important to him. This is daddy something, do, something that daddy does. It's really cool and he's excited and he's proud of it. That's awesome. I agree. I think I mean, I think that I try to ask everyone about their balance because I know that at, at a certain level yeah. in your career and family life, there is no balance. It's just you get through it and you i think what you're talking about is the new normal yeah if you have a career or something you're passionate about you're all in on that but you're also want to be present and all in on being a, a parent yeah and you just do the best you can there's a i think there's also a personality type that's that's more you know that can balance it like i have a good buddy who's who i don't who has five kids and he's like oh it's great it's just like totally focused me and i'm like Oh, that's never happened here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not that guy. I'm too distracted maybe anyway. Yeah. Maybe some personalities like can, it can kind of like, all right, I got 10 minutes. I got to do this thing real quick. Yeah. I'm like, that's not, I'm not really good at that. Yeah. But it, it. So do you have any workout routines, meditation, mindfulness routine, things that keep you centered, keep you energized, especially, you know, you go for weeks at a time or even months at a time in yeah. foreign countries, foreign cities. What do you have? What is your deal? Do you do anything? Or you just wake up and you're just ripped? 
just I'm a ripped. natural. I'm ripped. How did you know? That's my <laughs> I, deal. I can tell. I, uh, no, I mean, I do, I do push up, sit ups and dumbbells at home. Can't go to the gym. Nice. I don't, I've like, have no, no time, time to go to the gym. I, I try doing, You are doing that. I do that. And then I get out as often as I can, you know, on the weekends for hikes or getting out in nature that it really, we go out for a forest bath. <laughs> you yeah. know, like I like to get out in nature as much as I can. Yeah, me too. I love nature. And are you doing that when you're out and about yeah. in different cities, different countries? I always do. Anytime I'm out, I try. I also will try to like add a personal day where I'll just kind of like absorb things. You yeah. know, like I, I was in, uh, I was in Budapest and I just like, I'm like, I just need a day just to kind of decompress and go kind of like absorb things. Thing. Yeah. Go see things. Yeah. Any meditation or any mindfulness or no? You just have it all together. I've tried to do it. I, I'm into. I'm into it. I'm but not get, part of your program. It's not part of my program. I kind of feel like I need a guide. I need some guidance on you how just to do gotta it. Do it. Well, here's the thing. I kind of feel like I'm already mindful. I need the meditation part. The mindfulness. I kind of feel like maybe I already do because I'm yeah. already aware of things. But yeah. I, I need the meditation. You got a guy? I got a Are guy. Are you the guy? I'm definitely not. I'm definitely not the guy. I'm working on it though. I'm yeah, working on it. I need it. a thing. I need. I need a plan. Yeah. That's what everyone yeah, says. Yeah, you can download. There's so many apps for that stuff. It's all. It's. It's no worries. Anything else we should add here before we move on to our next part of our uh, day? Anything you, any interesting anecdotes? I mean, there's so many I think different. The, I think the thing you started to talk about a minute ago about, about uh, real estate and how, how the kind of like this new world is converging all these different media. Yeah, I think all there's industries. Something, you know, whether we're talking about music, we're talking about film, we're talking about politics, we're talking about real estate. All these, all these media are converging into this place where they kind of occupy the same space. And I think some of that has to do with awareness and how, and has to do with kind of like what the what the canvas looks like. You know, whether it's about transporting people in, in a you know trans like yeah. a this kind of immersive way, or it's about communicating empathy in different ways, or it's about communicating. I think it's it's all about like storytelling is number one, and communication is kind of like number zero. Like that's really the yeah. heading. And I think whether we're talking about children, I, I have to say it's funny thinking about it in these terms. But I think that having kids has made me a clearer communicator. And I think that that clearer communication makes for better storytelling. And in some of the, I also Makes have a good sense. relationship with the State Department in in a variety of different ways. How we communicate with other, you know, whether it be a foreign ministry somewhere else or an embassy, and and the opportunities that that uh, giving opportunities to people in other countries that might not otherwise have them to tell their own stories, and also to give just a super neutral version like that doesn't have any you know government politics attached to it. I think is really valuable. So I think there's like storytelling, whether it's the story of a property or the story of your family or the story of your culture, or the story of your country or whatever, is something that is constantly engaging people. And I think the like storytelling is such a key piece of of what I think we do as humans, like Absolutely. different than a tiger or you know a bird. I think it's what we do. That's the human thing. And storytelling I think that's, is that's at the core of everything of, we do of everything. I agree. It's a part of what we all do. And and this technology is just another way to elevate that communication in a different way. So anyway, I thank you for, for coming. Dude, thank you. Always for love hanging with you, whether we're talking heady technology or just talking guy stuff. It's always so much fun hanging. Yeah. We'll drink some tequila with a sphere cube in honor of Brian oh, that's Burkett. A great idea. <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs> thank you. You're listening to the deal with Danny Brown and we'll see you next time.
Thank you for tuning in again to The Deal with Danny Brown. I want to thank Andrew Shulkin for hanging with us and breaking it down and kicking knowledge. I mean, that is just wild how far entertainment technology has come and what we're walking into. And it's just mind-blowing how we're going to be consuming entertainment and movie theaters and concert arenas and different types of venues. It's, it's just so different. But you can always find Andrew Shulkin. You can hit him up on Instagram at a shulkin s-h-u-l-k-i-n-d uh you can always find me at danny brown la on instagram or danny brown la.com we love love if you could subscribe and leave a comment we appreciate it our uh, subscriptions are way up and the word is getting out about us and i'm really really appreciative thank all of you for listening and we look forward to catching up with you soon take care Thank <laughs> you.